0: This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions.
1: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of Problem Solve, the IISC podcast. I'm David Brandt, the web managing editor for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. And today's episode is about IISC media behind the curtain. Before we begin our discussion today, uh, we've got Don Green, chief executive officer of IISC, has stopped by to talk a little bit about the podcast himself. Don, thanks for joining us.
0: Glad to do it, David.
1: We started in May. We launched three episodes at the annual conference. Those went over really well. Uh, the reception was coming. Kind of slow to build up, but over the course of the summer, you know, we looked at our analytics, and more and more people were downloading and getting more excited about it. We've seen some activity on IISC Connect and other places, social media, for example, uh, where people are starting to give their opinions about it. What's your opinion about it? What have you heard from the board and uh, other members about the podcast so far,
0: David? I'm really proud of what we're doing with our podcast. As you said, they're relatively new for IISC. We've only been doing them a few months now, and they have rapidly become very popular with our members, and, and not just our younger members. I hear from our board members and, and so many people when I visit chapters or attend conferences about the podcasts that they're listening to. They're a great way to to, to quickly and easily access specialized knowledge. So that's how I would describe them. And, and that's really what IASC is all about, and that is the dissemination of knowledge.
1: We've had a lot of diversity in our topic so far, including diversity. It was a part of a panel discussion that came from the annual conference. We've talked a lot about health systems. We've talked a lot about ergonomics. We've explored AI. We've talked about Chick-fil-A even. Do you have a favorite episode uh, from what we've put out so far or a favorite discussion? What have been your highlights?
0: That's tough, David, because I've, I've really enjoyed every one of them. I've found that a, a member can find podcasts on practically any subject related to industrial and systems engineering in our library of podcasts now, and they can access them on their own schedule, so that makes them ideal. I think of them as microbursts of useful information, there have been some great ones, and I think two of my favorites, uh, I remember Ben Amaba and Michael Testani when they were talking about artificial intelligence and and when IE's role in that field. Mark Binden when he was discussing the role that human factors and ergonomics play in improving productivity. But I think my favorite was probably David Reed of Chick-fil-A, because when he was talking about how Chick-fil-A uses industrial engineering to imp- improve their customer experience, that's just so I don't want to call it traditional IE. it's anything but traditional IE, but it's such a great application of industrial engineering, reaching literally millions of people and making their lives better. It just in something as simple as getting a chicken sandwich. <laughs> no, exactly.
1: Don, we've got a lot of podcasts coming this year. We're certainly working on ones right now about the mind-body connection, which is part of Ashley Benedict's piece in the magazine. And we're certainly looking at some potential opportunities with NASA. We're looking at more opportunities in AI. What do you think ISCs are most interested in? in that we can possibly provide a voice for through the podcast in the coming year.
0: David, that's that's a tough question because, as as you know, IEs and ISEs are involved in practically every area of business these days. Data analysis and, and really big data, the, the, the catchphrase there, is, is something that IEs own, I believe. I think we are better qualified than any other engineering discipline to do the analysis. And all companies are more and more analyzing big volumes of, of data, and IEs excel at that. Uh, You mentioned artificial intelligence. I'd stay on that one because AI is the coming thing. It has been for years now, but it continues to boom. And industrial and systems engineers are also becoming very involved in AI in every area. And the old fallback supply chain logistics. We continue to be about getting things to the right place in the most effective and efficient manner. There's nobody better at than and whether it's UPS or Amazon or FedEx or everybody who makes anything and ships it somewhere. They're using industrial engineers to accomplish that. And so that's another area we want to make sure we continue to focus on.
1: Well, it sounds like we've got a lot of editorial opportunities coming to us in the next year, and we're certainly going to try our best to take advantage of that and certainly get more members involved, as we even had uh, Brian Hurley uh, handle the interviewing on one of our podcasts. So we definitely want to get more members involved uh, who are experts in certain fields and can really speak to the challenges and ask the right questions that maybe someone on our staff can't. So we're looking forward to creating those opportunities for members.
0: David, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's very consistent with the mission statement that the board of trustees developed for IISE just last summer when we developed the idea that IISE helps industrial and systems engineers solve the complex problem of the world, because that's what industrial engineers are doing today. Podcasts are yet another way for us to make ISEs better.
1: Don, thanks for joining us. Glad to do it, David. Joining us today are Michael Hughes, former managing editor of ISE Magazine, now the current manager of sales and marketing for ISE, and Keith Albertson, the current managing editor of ISE Magazine. Guys, thanks for joining me today.
2: Good to be here.
1: Glad to be here. For a lot of people who don't realize this... All three of us have worked together at one time or another at the Times newspaper in Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, We share a background in print journalism. Just a very strange trip to find the three of us working together again here at IISE. Um, I know I got started here in 2006 initially, and I've been here off and on, mostly on, for about 14 years now, which, as I say it out loud, is... Strange, <laughs> See, it's gone. It's gone by so fast. I'll put it that way. Um, Hughes, I think you showed up uh, 2009. Showed up
3: in 2009. I initially interviewed for a staff writer position, and I wasn't selected. But the person who was selected lasted a month. So then they called me to be a staff writer. Then I always tell people that I got fired. But what really happened is the managing editor left, and they promoted me to managing editor and didn't replace the staff writer. But uh, So they fire me as staff writer, hired me as managing editor. I figure it's a wash. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well put. Well said. And Keith, you joined us when? Just not you know, even two it, years ago uh, now. Uh,
2: October 2018. This fellow here helped uh, bring me in when he moved into the marketing role. And uh, I had been at the Daily Paper, as you mentioned, which was getting a little bit of a long commute and long hours. And this was a nice uh, change. And so we sort of... Each kept pulling the rope and bringing each other in, and now we have the Gainesville Mafia here at IISC.
1: Pretty much, and uh, probably should mention and a little bit of a shout out to Frank Reddy, who is now on staff, uh, works in marketing with Michael, and also uh, was a member of the time staff at one time or another. So he's
2: the guy I brought in.
1: Exactly. So that's uh, that's just how we do it here at IISC. We just. Pull from the same pool of former reporters and editors. Limited gene pool, but it is effective. <laughs> exactly. So there's a little bit of irony to all of this now because here we are on a podcast. And it's, of course, been the new wave in media the last couple of years. Um, it's been around for much longer than that, but it's really gained steam in that time in the, uh, just the last couple of years. And it's been An interesting ride so far. We started in May uh, and we launched three episodes at the annual conference. We just knew that people had asked for it. And as we do at IISe, we want to follow up on what the members are looking for. So here we are. We're about 13 full episodes in with seven bonus episodes from the Lean conference in the fall. And we just hit 5,000 downloads. What has been sort of the surprise for you guys as I and I will take full responsibility for this gradually suckering you in to doing podcasting?
3: Honestly, David, this is fun. We're just talking to people, man. And the stories that ISEs tell us, they're so much better than the stories we use to have to cover in journalism. They're people looking for solutions and finding solutions as opposed to, as we've talked about amongst ourselves, politicians looking to blame somebody else. It's just a lot of fun to talk to people and hear how they're really making the world a better place.
2: Yeah, and I find the same thing. I mean, its uh, we come from a journalism background. And when we got here, we found that this is just a different type of journalism. You know, when you're in a daily newspaper, as we were, we're defined by the topics that fit within a certain geographic area and where our readership is. Here, it's based on the field of interest that ISEs have. But they're still good stories. It's just good storytelling. And as we've gone out and found so many great examples of how ISEs are, are having an effect even well outside of manufacturing and industry that are just really fun and interesting, humanitarian areas and many others. And as as Mike said, when you're out just kind of doing a story and doing interviews, it's a little more ask a question, get an answer kind of thing. And particularly in newspaper journalism, when you're talking to people that don't necessarily want to give you a lot of information. Here we're talking to folks who have good stories to tell, and we're happy to share their stories, and they're very eager to do so. And the podcast is really more of a conversation than what we used to have in a a newspaper setting where you're just asking questions and getting answers. We're actually just kind of talking to people back and forth. And that's a lot of fun. It's very different. And it's I think something that's a lot more fun to listen to than just a kind of a straight Q and A sort of thing.
3: You know, and as yet in my podcasting career or the nine years I edited the magazine, have I ever had to go and knock on the district attorney's door at 10 p.m. because he wouldn't answer my question or chase down a state representative at his mother-in-law's house because he wouldn't answer questions? These people want to talk to us. It's really a revelation.
1: Like Michael, I started here as a staff writer and I was working on the magazine and I wasn't entirely sure right away how to go about finding stories and getting stories, especially because much of the work we do is from our headquarters and. In Peachtree Corners, Georgia. It took me some time, but what I realized was industrial and systems engineering is everywhere. And the sooner I discovered that, the better off I was as a writer and a reporter trying to find stories, not just stories that interested our members and our readers, but stories that really interested me. Over time, I've gotten to write stories about the role of industrial and systems engineering and climate change. I've gotten to write about industrial and systems engineering in government. I've gotten to write about applications in education and sports. It's been far more fascinating than I probably could have predicted when I first came in. So over time, I know, Michael, when you joined, I kind of shared that idea with you, and I think that percolated with you pretty quick. Going forward from there, how did you as an editor figure out what stories are most prominent or prevalent?
3: Well, to be honest with you, when you kind of presented that idea to me about industrial and systems engineering... I thought all this do more with less was a bunch of marketing bunk. And I wrote that in the last editorial that I wrote for the magazine, my kind of sign-off was, I really thought I'd be bored out of my pants. Uh, Ten years later, I've got my pants on and I'm still interested. I really thought I'd be bored out of my skull. I'm not. This is exciting stuff. You look at what humans need for life, food, drink, and medical care. Well, two of the podcasts... David B. Reed of Chick fil A and Joanna Facatier of the Mayo Clinic. That's food and healthcare right there. And there are both interesting talks. They were well received. And you're talking about the essentially the essence of life, and industrial and systems engineering can help you get that more efficiently, more effectively, more cost effectively. I mean, I'm just amazed at Wi Fi on a chicken fryer, okay? A Wi Fi antenna on a chicken fryer. I would never think of that in a million years. But David Reed sitting in the podcast studio talking to me about it. Well, we need to know accurate throughput for our chicken fryers. We need to know if the operators are saying this chicken fryer can't handle all the stuff we want to go through it. We need to know if that's accurate or not, if we need to upgrade our chicken fryers, if we need to do a new one, if we need to re engineer it, or if we need to add a chicken fryer, or what we need to do to make sure that enough throughput goes through that part of the system and it doesn't become a bottleneck, which is why at Chick fil A, you can get your order in 15 minutes or 10 minutes whereas at other places it might take half hour, 45, an hour, Heaven knows how long.
1: And Keith, you're obviously still newish. I would say you picked it up much faster than Michael did, uh, to a great degree. And I know we gave you a lot of background coming into the role. What has it been like for you in determining how to approach and determine what are relevant stories to our readers?
2: Same experience that Mike had is is you sort of passed on the the gospel to him, and he did to me as well. And as I read through some of the magazines and some of the stories he had done, my thinking was you just got stories. This could go in the newspaper. This could go in the business section. As I came in, I, my, my first thought was, well, golly, where am I going to find the topics for these stories? I don't know enough about industrial systems engineering to go assign articles. Well, the articles started coming in and the ideas started showing up. And we came up with some ideas as as we found them at various news sites. The story back in uh, early in the year on the ports expansion in Savannah, which was the first uh, byline story that I pursued, which is a big supply chain issue. You, that uh, it affects a lot of folks, and it wound up being a very good story. We found so many other good humanitarian angles throughout the year, and some of them we found either from members who were giving presentations, folks who'd written for us in the past who had come through with articles. We found some on, on social media. Uh, there was the story of the IE graduate from Purdue who ran the mission school in Haiti. Her story was posted on the Purdue school website. We happened to find it, reached out to her. And And it turned into a great story. So that's where a lot of these come about. And we just kind of got our radar out, trying to pick up wherever these stories may show up and then reach out. And golly, all of a sudden, you got a good story that someone's very eager, as Mike says, to tell. Once you get a hold of them, they they love to tell about the wonderful, cool things they do.
1: And a lot of the stories we do pick up from IE departments around the country. We pick up from the conference presentations. Uh, certainly, a few of the podcasts we've had so far came from the annual conference webinars. Really, just every resource we have in which we're in communication with members. And I think it's been really good for us as we've gotten to know more members um, to know instinctively, we want to put together a story about artificial intelligence or we want to put together a story about supply chain. Instinctively now, because we've all gotten to know so many members, we know who to contact. We know who the first call is. They may not necessarily be the main source of a story, but they certainly know who they can post in touch with uh, to accomplish that effort. So it's been really good, I think, coming into this equally blind to what the profession was or is and certainly getting more comfortable with the knowledge base going forward. And Michael, you even went as far as getting a green belt, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? I actually
3: got my Lean Six Sigma green belt a couple of years ago. And I told the story when I first came here, I thought Lean was somebody on a diet and Six Sigma was that fraternity down the road. So that's how green I was. I mean, not green belt green, just plain naive green. Uh, it was a really interesting class held here at IISC headquarters. I learned a lot and apply some of that stuff to my processes. One touch flow, I apply to emails. Used to be when I first came here, a lot of it was a lack of knowledge. I'd sit and I'd mull over an email for like days. What should I do with this? You know, this story that I've read, should I ask for more information? Should I go ahead and run it in the magazine? Should I turn it into a column? Should I just reject it and I'd be like, ah? Now I take an email, I look at it. (laughs) Pretty much within a few minutes, it's one touch flow. I decide what I'm going to do with it. File it for future use, reject it, act on it, and it's done with. And I learned that
1: from Larry Aft. We've learned a lot from Larry Aft, I think, all I three. I think of the of whole us. world has learned a lot from Larry Aft. That's true.
2: We'll we'll go ahead and say that. And my one touch flow is to get those emails when I first started here and just send them to Mike and say, What do I do with this?
1: <laughs> That's hey. smart. I
3: did a whole lot of that when I first came here too, my man. But when you talk about finding stories, you know, now that we start knowing members and learning about members, dinner and a beer can turn into a podcast or a magazine story. I think it was Lucas Mazur at University of North Carolina and his Team, I had a drink with him at Annual in Orlando last year, and he was telling me about this incredible story. That sounds great for the magazine. You want to write it up? Turn it over to Keith. It wind up going in the magazine. It. At ELSS in Houston last year, I had dinner with Mike Testani of Binghamton University and Ben Amaba of IBM. They did a presentation on AI. I'm like, dudes, our conversation here that we had the last thirty minutes could be a podcast. Are y'all interested? Bam. A few months later, it becomes a podcast. And they're planning on doing a one-day symposium for us March 31st in Atlanta as well on artificial intelligence and its impact on industrial and systems engineering. And that stems from just going out and talking to people.
2: And, and a couple of the examples that I had were very similar. We had the young lady who was the engineer uh, working with NASA at the Kennedy Space Center, Brianne Alzade. She did a presentation at annual. I actually missed her presentation, but I saw the abstract, thought it was very interesting. It was on how her team at NASA was keeping uh, institutional information on site when, when their engineers were retiring, they wanted to download all of that. So I reached out to her. And it turned into both an article for the magazine, a case study article for the magazine. And then it turns out she, her family was from our area and she was uh, visiting here, I guess, uh, day what was it, late last summer, came by our studios and turned into a great podcast. So it was uh, an annual presentation that turned into something both for the magazine and for the podcast, which was great content. Another was uh, the uh, St. Bernard Project, the uh, folks in New Orleans who uh, rebuild homes after Hurricane Katrina. Brian Hurley of our our sustainable development division to put a post on social media about the book that uh, they had written about that. thought this is a great engineering story because they'd reached out to Toyota engineers to improve their process once they began rebuilding homes. So I touched base with them. They were more than eager to tell their story. It turned into a great podcast. We had uh, Liz McCartney interviewed by Brian in one of our podcasts last year and then a story for the magazine in December. And we're hoping to do something uh, with them when we're at annual conference later this year too. That's sort of still up in the air, but but in the works. So it's where one little thread can sometimes turn into to various ways to tell that story on all our different platforms. And, and so far, we've had uh, uh, some really good success with that.
1: Yeah, we also put out a video recently about the Curiosity Lab here in Petrie Corners and the Autonomous Ollie which is uh, basically a minibus that operates on its own, very much a sign of the future. I honestly didn't think that we were as far advanced at this point, I really didn't think that was as widespread, and I've been proven wrong. I think one of the things that I found most surprising about it was the fact of just how much technology was put into the minibus to accomplish the task of just picking people up and dropping them off. All on a test track that was, I believe, three miles round trip, and Keith, you and I were on it, and... I felt a little bit daunted by it. It was very much a "the future is now" kind of experience. Hey, I was
2: riding in the front, so <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: right. If that thing was going to crash, <laughs> David Brent cowering behind again. Well, he yes. had the camera on me
2: when we crashed. So <laughs> that's
1: true. Yeah, I would have captured uh, your untimely demise uh, on the autonomous vehicle. So at least we would have had that, you know, and we would have memorialized you. I'm sure. <laughs> We've talked just now a little bit about some highlights from the podcast. I did want to ask what your favorite podcast interviews were, what your favorite moments or discussions have been uh, among the 13 to 20 that we've had so far. Oh, I've got
3: three. I'm going to try to make them really quick. David Reed, because who would have thought industrial engineering and Chick-fil-A, but the reason they are so successful at getting people through, it's a throughput issue is because they have an industrial engineering team led by David Reed. And that was just a lot of fun to talk to him. Joanna Ficatier at the Mayo Clinic, I did not realize that the Mayo Clinic has had healthcare systems engineers working to improve processes there for 70 years. That's a long time. And we're all kind of thinking healthcare is kind of a new thing for engineering. And and overall it is as far as more ISEs going into healthcare, but they've been blazing the way, which is why they're often ranked number one in healthcare in the United States. They've been doing this for a long time. And then Ben and Mike, the AI podcast. A lot of people say industrial engineering is about incrementally improving things, Um, but it's also on the cutting edge of the future. AI is going to automatically sense your clothes and your washing machine. AI is going to help Ollie not run into people and make sure that the passengers get there safely. Ben talked a lot about how IEs have all of this experience with warehousing and inventory. Well, the world of big data is essentially one huge inventory of data that needs to be parsed, selected, figured out, winnowed. You talk to industrial engineers are 70, 80, 90 years old, and they talk about how for years and decades, they've had a lack of data. A lot of their problem is they don't have enough data. The data set isn't big enough to really make a good decision. So all of the decision-making support systems that they put together, you know, sometimes they're a little sketchy because they don't have enough data. Well, now, these days, the question is going to be, out of this humongous volume of data, what data do we look at to actually make the decision? because it's too much to look at at all. And that's where industrial engineers and their expertise at slicing and dicing inventory, moving it around, it's just going to come into play big time.
2: Keith, what about you? Well, I, the one I had mentioned with uh, Liz McCartney of SBP that, uh, that Brian did, it was great to have a member who was uh, kind of tuned in and being able to handle that interview. Uh, we were not as directly involved in the podcast as our voices weren't on there, but we hit, were the ones that had kind of had helped orchestrate it. And it's just great to see. It's a great story on how they took this great humanitarian effort, but applied lean principles across their organization, top to bottom, not just on how do you rebuild a home, but how you bring in personnel. I mean, they had a very fleeting workforce of volunteers that were coming and going. How do you manage those so that there's enough, the right amount of work for everybody? So nobody's sitting around, but you also have enough people. And so they have to coordinate that. They have to coordinate fundraising and getting permits. And there's so many aspects aspects of this that I don't think you realize until you read their story. And their book's fascinating and the podcast was great. And I thought that was just one of the great stories we've been able to offer. And the other, as you mentioned, was the Curiosity Lab in our interview with Betsy Plattenberg. It was fun doing that and riding Ollie and being able to to, uh, work with the folks over there. I got to spend a few days out at the Smart City Expo in Atlanta learning a lot about how a lot of AI and a lot of the smart city connectivity is there. It's just a matter of sort of taking it now to the next level and getting it implemented. And human beings are sort of the big obstacle in many ways there. And and Ollie, as as Betsy was saying in a podcast, is sort of a microcosm of that because Ollie can drive up and down that road just fine. Ollie can stop and turn and do whatever he needs to do. But these, there are other people on the road who are sometimes impatient with Ollie and following behind him and cutting him his lane. And Ollie's got to learn how to deal with them like the rest of us do when we're driving. Mm-hmm. So AI works great, but dealing with human beings and integrating AI, with people is sort of the big challenge there. And and uh, Betsy had a great story at the end of a podcast that sort of pointed out how people feel about autonomous vehicles. She said, you know, at one time you got on, years ago, you get on an elevator and there was an elevator operator who would push the lever and handle the button. You know, you had a driver for the elevator, basically. Well, now none of us would think about getting on an elevator with somebody driving the thing for us. We push the button, we go where we want to go. Autonomous vehicles are a little that way. It's just a matter of sort of getting used to the idea of giving up that control and trusting the technology when the technology is able to handle it to get us where we need to Go so I thought those were great stories that kind of really drove home the points we were trying to make in, in in the story and and all of our coverage.
1: For those of you listening, you should know that I actually spend all the time in post production of these podcast interviews doing the editing and making sure everything sounds good. And I'm certainly going to have a treat trying to make this one sound good. But <laughs> the the um,
3: hey, we we're always told we had faces for radio. Now we're doing podcasts, so that's close enough. Yes, now yes. you got people
2: to match all the things they won't hear. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll put that together for a special presentation. Well,
1: let's see what happens over the next 52 we'll weeks. we set
2: up at a little side session at annual if people want to come by.
1: We are looking to do podcast interviews at our conferences. So if you are planning to attend HSPI or, or the Applied Ergonomics Conference or the annual conference in May, uh, certainly look for us. I'm easy to spot. I'm the... Uh, social media gopher. I'm the one running around with cameras around my neck and trying to take photos and video of everything. Um, We'll certainly have a space set up uh, where we can uh, do some short interviews and certainly want to get your voices and hear more from our members and our attendees uh, at those events uh, so we can bring that to people in real time during those conferences. My favorites this year uh, so far have really been um, the ones I've done. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, um, I I do like the ones I've done. I've done interviews on a couple of them, one of which was, again, the diversity panel, sort of an extended discussion of that. I attended that live at the uh, annual conference in 2019. That was a fascinating discussion from a room full of people of various ages and backgrounds, most impressive part of which was it was just civil. And that's a very difficult thing in these times. The civility of the discussion, the maturity of the discussion, the maturity from the college students who actually led the discussion. And we interviewed uh, Sneha Sinha and Carlos Garza for from that panel. Uh, and I talked to them a little bit more in depth about you know, the perceptions that they have, the perceptions that they're worried other people, particularly uh, American professors and American students have uh, about students from other countries. And, you know, every all of them have the same hopes and dreams in terms of their careers, but the challenges are radically different. And it's something that um, we've talked about in this country as part of our culture for decades, if not longer. And it's a ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing conversation uh, that certainly needs to continue. I was pretty pleased to know that a younger generation had such maturity and civility in talking about that topic. Um, so I was really happy to have witnessed that live. I was really happy to talk to those two uh, on the episode. Uh, the other episode I participated in was with Kevin McManus, our performance columnist in ISE Magazine. The great part about that for me was I got to talk to him about the parallels between industrial and systems engineering and a discipline called essentialism. Summarizing essentialism is very difficult, um, but I would say that it's basically about less but better. It's that idea of working smarter, not harder. But to be able to talk to someone about it was very important to me on on that platform um, because it was a discipline that helped me rebound from cancer. And I mentioned that in the podcast episode itself. As a cancer survivor, moving forward after that experience was very challenging. Thinking about making my life simpler, thinking about focusing on the vital from the trivial, that's more what essentialism is about. It's also what industrial engineers focus on. They focus on the vital. They remove weight. They get rid of the distractions. If you look at any individual example of an industrial engineer in a work environment, that's largely what they're doing all the time. And so it took me years to finally make that parallel despite all the stories I've written for the magazine and all the work I've done here and all the conferences I've attended. Once I made that connection – I was real appreciative of all the years I've been here. So it was very important to me to have that interview. Serious so question, David. When you essentialized uh, your life, did you actually
3: do a Pareto diagram of it, or did you just kind of like write it down?
2: <sighs> I've seen that diagram. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was just scribbles on a marker board. That's not a real diagram. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> now you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I'm always, I've always been more of a list person, and I always. Uh, uh, share that with people who are looking for advice in that realm. I always tell them, you know, it starts with making a list about the things you want to do and the things you want to focus on. You start there. Then you ask yourself, who do you want to spend your time with and what do you want to spend your time doing? Because the biggest lesson that partially came from essentialism, but also just, I think was mentioned to me by a nurse at the hospital (laughs) when I was ill, um, was that time is a currency. We only spend it. You don't get to save it. You don't get to put it away for later. And I think that kind of focus and that kind of mentality is something that industrial engineers adopt as well in their work. So it's just been a fascinating experience over time to discover that for myself, I'm a bit of an engineer. For my life, for my day-to-day, I've become more of that. And I don't think that would have happened without Having worked here, I also want to add that one of my other favorite episodes was definitely Brian Alzate from NASA because it was about institutional knowledge. I didn't really give that much thought before that interview. Um, I, Keith, you did the interview, but I was in the room at the time and I listened to the interview. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized. There aren't enough new engineers who know about getting rockets into space, Mm -hmm. you know, and I start thinking about that in multiple professions and I start thinking about it in government. I start thinking about it in education. There seems to be a generation gap in some professions where younger, newer professionals are coming into a realm where a lot of older professionals are exiting just as quickly and that knowledge isn't necessarily being passed on. So that created a bit of a concern for me. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't know if that is really something. Brianne mentioned a program that they do at NASA where they have long sessions and sort of sit down topics and everyone really does share the knowledge. And it's very important to them that they pass that along. I don't know of any other profession that does something similar at this point. And I'm sure it's out there. I just I'm not aware
2: of it. And that applies to everything. I mean, it, it was NASA in this case, but you could do that. In, in any business uh, where you take that institutional knowledge and figure out we got to get this out of this old guy's head and put it somewhere where the, the new folks coming along can use that, even as things change, all that institutional knowledge is still useful. And it definitely applied to me because just a few months earlier, I was the old guy with all the institutional knowledge that was leaving a place that I had been for 33 years. And how in your two week time there before you leave, do you pass on all of that to where it's going to be useful? And it, it's something that you can't do spur of the moment. It's something you have to give some thought to. And That was the point she made. This wasn't something they just threw together. This was an engineering approach that they took to make it systematic and to make it uh, very interactive and to make it people where where people wanted to go to these sessions rather than just being a chore and then archiving it so it was all available. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that could apply to just about everybody.
1: Well, and to make it systematic is to make it ongoing. It's not something to your point where you want to get to the last possible minute and go, oh, yeah. I should have written a book. It's really something that you have to start from the beginning and pass to each person and each professional that comes in and takes up a new role or replaces somebody else, for that matter. Yeah, I'd never heard of the term institutional knowledge before I came here.
3: Now, the first time I heard about it was actually a magazine article in one of the magazines that Keith now edits, Industrial Management. And I think the gentleman's name was Marcus Sepulveda, who authored it. We're talking 10 years ago. And it's all about... You have a business, people come and go. Well, that information is vital to carry on the business. How do you actually set up systems so it's done in a systematic way? So when, you know, Buffy leaves and Jack takes over, Jack can know at least enough of what Buffy knew to keep the concern going.
1: No, you make an excellent point. I did want to ask you guys if there was anything else about the business we do here in terms of communications and journalism uh, that you wanted to let the audience know about or members know about in terms of just, you know, the kinds of things that we do to present great stories, to highlight their achievements. What sort of things can our members do to get? in touch with us and present their story ideas or, or if they wanted to be a participant on the podcast, for example.
2: Well, it's important and, and we rely on folks all the time that, you know, this is all for them. Uh the magazine is theirs. It's for members. It's their magazine. We put it together based on their ideas and their input. And without their input, we don't have a magazine. It's not about anything we know. We're just a blank slate. We're the vessel that goes out and asks the questions and talks to folks and and takes their stories and presents it. And that's the case with podcasts and all our other platforms. Uh without our members coming up with these great projects and these great ideas and being able to express them we don't have any of this. So it has to flow in all those directions. And our members are great. I've gotten, ah, gosh, a handful of of stories submitted to me just in the last week or so. Uh, They're very prolific. We have a lot of regular writers who just love to send me stuff and we welcome it. And we will continue to welcome it. If anybody out there has ideas they want to share that they think, here's something we came up with that at, at where I work that would work somewhere else, by all means, get in touch with us, let us know, and we'll pass it along. That's what we're here for.
3: Just think of it this way. If it's interesting to you, it's likely interesting to some of your fellow industrial systems engineers.
1: Absolutely. No question about that. Well, I think we'll bring this to a close. Uh, I certainly want to thank our members for continuing to listen and download the podcast. We're really proud of it. We hope you are too. Uh, I certainly want to thank Keith and Michael for joining me today. And if you do have ideas or you want to spur discussion that may result in a story or a podcast episode, uh, my best recommendation would be to communicate on IISE Connect. It's a great discussion platform for you to exchange ideas with fellow members. Uh, it is a member exclusive. You have to be a member to be on there and it's a great opportunity to network and it's a great opportunity to learn something new so by all means post discussions post blogs and get the word out about what you know because it may be something that everybody needs to know and that's really what's most important for us as we put together media that works for you guys on that note we thank you so much and we will see you next time This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show.